This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the legislature is hoping to wrap things up by Wednesday. The tentative plan is to sign off on a budget by Sunday, then return for a vote on Wednesday once the mandatory 72-hour cooling-off period for the budget bill is complete. The session was supposed to end no later than midnight tonight, but, well, this is Tallahassee. They do things differently here. The governor, meanwhile, asking groups that are hosting events like festivals, concerts, and golf tournaments to postpone or cancel any sort of mass gathering because of the coronavirus. And his predecessor, Senator Rick Scott, is quarantining himself after coming into contact with a Brazilian official who has since tested positive for the virus. After ignoring subpoenas from the legislature, the former director of the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence is now facing the possibility of being held in contempt by the Florida House of Representatives. A bill prohibiting insurance companies from using your genetic information to set rates is headed for the governor. He'll also be receiving a bill that abolishes state regulations over telegraph companies. And the Senate sponsor was kind enough to explain the concept of a telegram to the youngins in the chamber. On the Sunrise interview, Steve Vancor will explain how the coronavirus could have a substantial impact on next week's Florida presidential preference primary. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and the latest on two Florida men who are facing trouble in New York. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, March 13th. Florida Senator Rick Scott has announced he's in self-quarantine after meeting with the communications director for the president of Brazil, who has since tested positive for the coronavirus. This is the same guy who posed for a picture with Donald Trump and Mike Pence last weekend at Mar-a-Lago. Governor Ron DeSantis is hoping to stop the spread of the coronavirus in Florida by postponing or limiting mass gatherings in the state. He made the announcement at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami. I'm suspending all official travel for state employees. Uh, The suspension will initially be for 30 days. Um, I also am directing state agencies to maximize remote working and telecommuting. The state has a workforce of over 90,000 individuals whose health and well-being are a priority. And if they can perform functions at home, now's a good time to do that. Further, uh, based on the recommendations of our health officials here in the state of Florida, uh, I am recommending to uh, local uh, municipalities and private entities uh, to strongly consider limiting or postponing mass gatherings in the state of Florida. Uh, I was in contact already today with the commissioner of the PGA Tour, Commissioner of Major League Baseball. Uh, This is an opportunity, our health officials believe, where where some of these large-scale events can be postponed um, and and do it later. Some of the athletic contests, um, I recommended to the PGA, if they're not allowing the fans in, uh, they can still compete the event and put it on television. People are going to be isolated or social distancing at home. That will be helpful. But if a mass gathering is not canceled, and I don't have the authority as governor to order all mass gatherings canceled, but if it's not, you need to have organized screening measures in place. I mean, for example, before entering, an attendee should be asked if they are sick uh, or if they've been in contact, not only from some of these foreign countries that have seen outbreaks, but places here in the state of Florida, uh, such as um, the, the cruise ship terminals. Mary Mayhew at the Agency for Healthcare Administration says they've also adopted new visitation rules at nursing homes and senior care facilities because they face the greatest threat from the virus. Facilities across Florida are taking every precaution to ensure the health and safety of patients and residents and to protect the welfare of their health care staff. We know the most effective way to protect Florida's most 
vulnerable residents is to prevent the infection or those with symptoms of an infection from entering the facility. The first line of defense is vigilant screening of visitors, vendors, and staff. Ensuring anyone who is sick does not visit. If someone has traveled internationally or has been on a cruise, they are asked appropriate screening questions. At the facilities that I have visited this week, I've had my temperature taken and I have responded to all of these questions. No one should be exempt. Every provider I have visited has been unequivocal in their support for and implementation of screening protocols. And every facility must have the necessary tools at their disposal to keep patients and residents safe. That's why the recent emergency order requiring comprehensive screenings at long-term care facilities is so critical. This will help ensure facilities can take necessary measures to protect Florida's most vulnerable populations. And again, we know that these are individuals who are at most risk. We've seen the tragic situation in Washington State at a nursing home there. The choice is clear. Florida will and must take every step to prevent real and potentially fatal threats to our elderly and senior populations and those with underlying health conditions. The Department of Corrections has also canceled in-person visitation at state prisons until April 5th. Attorneys can still visit their clients behind bars, but friends and family will have to phone or Skype if they want to talk with inmates. The woman who ran the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence is a no-show for her latest deposition and could be held in contempt by the Florida House of Representatives. Lawmakers want Tiffany Carr to explain why she paid herself more than $7 million over a three-year period with money that should have been going to domestic violence shelters. But Representative Tom Leake, who chairs the House Committee on Public Integrity and Ethics, says she ghosted them on Thursday. I would like to make a report on uh, the appearance more specifically, the non-appearance of Ms. Tiffany Carr for her deposition today. Uh, I have before me a certi certificate of non-appearance, uh, which is a document uh, that is uh, prepared and provided to us by the uh, duly appointed court reporter that Ms. Carr failed to show for her deposition. So Representative Cord Bird says it's time to hold Carr accountable by recommending she be found in contempt. Speaker Oliva issued a subpoena ordering Tiffany Carr to appear with certain records and to provide testimony on March 12, 2020 at 9 a.m. Despite ample notice of the subpoena, Tiffany Carr did not respond or appear on March 12, 2020 as required. Such failure to appear constitutes contempt as provided in House Rule 16.2 sub B sub 1 and that the committee requests the House to order Tiffany Carr to show cause why she should not be held in contempt of this House. Representative Leake says they've also issued a new round of subpoenas, including some big-name retailers. Amazon.com, Inc., Target Corporation, Inc., and PayPal, Inc., and members. The reason we are asking for um, subpoenas to those corporations is that there were unusual charges to these vendors, and so we want to um, see if there was any misspent coalition funds. Um, that's, why, that's why we are asking for those. 
Leak would not say exactly what those purchases were. Now, one of the things lawmakers are still trying to figure out is how many victims of domestic violence could not be served because the money went to Carr. Representative Randy Fine put that question to Meg Baldwin. She is the director of Refuge House of Tallahassee, which provides services for eight counties in North Florida. So you said that for $6 million, you could have served 18,597 victims. I did the math. That's about $323 a piece. But the fact that you could have served them, I, I want to ask you sort of a direct question. Were there 18,597 women and victims that you could have served who asked for services, but you weren't able to serve because this money was diverted? That's a difficult question to answer because we don't know the universe of folks who didn't call um, or that we didn't provide services to when they asked because we couldn't. Uh, But what I do know is that just last year, we had 787 callers to our hotline um, who were seeking um, housing assistance uh, from Refuge House, whom we were not able to provide services for within just that one-year period. So to be clear, put this in the starkest terms possible, while Tiffany Carr was taking money to buy some fancy house in North Carolina, you had almost 800 women who needed our help who couldn't get it. I think that's a fair statement. The legislative session is almost over, but the committee's investigation will continue through the summer. Lawmakers have given final approval to a bill that would prevent insurance companies from using your genetic information to set prices for long-term care and life insurance. Federal law already prevents health insurance companies from using genetic information in underwriting policies and in setting premiums, but Representative Chris Sprouls says there is a massive loophole because the prohibition does not apply to life insurance or long-term care coverage. If the governor doesn't veto the bill, Florida will become the first state to ban the use of genetic information for those policies. At the end of the legislative session, as it draws near, all sorts of bills are being rushed through the chambers, including House Bill 6055, which repeals state regulations on telegraph companies and telegrams. Senator Ben Albritton was placed in the unusual position of having to explain the concept of a telegram to people who use email, DMs, tweets, and text messages. Senator Albritton, you're recognized to explain the bill. Thank you, Mr. President. Good morning to you. This bill eliminates penalties as it relates to telegraph companies here in the state of Florida. There being no amendments, is there any debate on the bill? Senator Pizzo, you are recognized. Thank you, Mr. President. There are a number of school-age children in the, in the West Gallery, so if Senator Albright and his clothes can address what telegraphs are, telegraph companies. Any further debate? Yes. Uh, Senator Rodriguez, you are recognized. Uh, Thank you, Mr. President. There are also some middle-aged people in the entire Capitol. Could you also explain for us what a telegraph is? Well, since you've been challenged on this, uh, Senator Albritton, you are recognized to close on the bill and tell us the two senators who are probably who are around when telegraphs were here. So, okay, <laughs> Thank you're you. recognized. Thank you, Mr. President. I appreciate the opportunity to clarify for these school children uh, what telegraphs were. Uh, just Google it. <laughs> Next year, we're going after carrier pigeons and Morse code. The telegraph bill has been approved by both chambers and is on its way to the governor. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, it's time for a twofer. We'll be talking to resident pollster and pundit Steve Vancour about the confluence of coronavirus and the Florida presidential preference primary. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. It takes a special calling to be a nurse, but misguided laws are preventing qualified nurses from providing care. We can change that. 
ask your legislator to expand scope of practice for nurses. Empower nurses to do the jobs they were trained to do. Paid for by Americans for Prosperity. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest in the studio today is Steve Vancour, our resident pollster and pundit. And Steve, you must be really excited now with Super, well, Super Tuesday is over, many Super Tuesday, but now for the Florida presidential primary. Well, it's, it's upon just us. Around it's the upon corner. us. You know, and, and it's really interesting. It couldn't, uh, what's happening in America, electorally speaking, probably couldn't happen at a worse time for Bernie Sanders because we saw the collapsing of the Bernie Sanders campaign on Super Tuesday, right? And the rise of Joe Biden, the incredible comeback of Joe Biden. Then we had mini Super Tuesday or Super Tuesday part due, whatever you want to call it, which really showed Joe uh, Biden as the presumptive nominee. Right. He was no this, longer a fluke. Super Tuesday wouldn't no, fluke. It was it, a trend. Yeah, I mean, you, you had him win massive 81% in Mississippi, win Missouri, which Bernie Sanders did very well in last time, win big in, in delegate-rich Michigan, okay, and won in places like Kalamazoo, which shows he's winning a lot of those blue-collar white voters that Bernie Sanders won last time, right? And then I, I thought the most important victory, non-victory, was the tie in Washington State, a very liberal, progressive area that Bernie Sanders cleaned up again in last time. Should have done well here, there as well, and, and drew drew to a tie. And so clearly established Joe Biden, boom, front runner. That, it was very, very well done. Uh, and he's clearly consolidating the base. But what's interesting about it, Rick, is if you look at the polls right now, and I've never seen anything like this. Remember, I've been polling since the mid-1980s. My first poll, by the way, was Dempsey Barron, okay? Uh, and we said he was vulnerable, and he was. And um, uh, you got Joe Biden de on demographics picking up, whether it's black voters, older voters, middle-aged voters, white suburban voters. Joe Biden is in the 60-plus range in all of those. Now, normally when there's a difference in these subgroups, it's like he's 10 points higher among this than the other one. But there's a complete reversal among younger voters, 30 and under. Bernie Sanders is north of 60 among them. That's very unusual. It's like the last bastion of Bernie Sanders' base is the very young voter. So how is that going to mesh in Florida where we don't have, we that, don't many have that many young voters? We actually do. We have more than most people think. But what's happened now with the coronavirus kind of occupying everybody's thoughts, you know, Tom Hanks has it. So now it's real. Um, but March Madness went from yesterday saying we're not going to allow fans into we're canceling and the NBA is shutting down, the NHL is shutting down. Uh, and doesn't that figure the one-time FSU looks like they might be a serious contender for the tourney? And that's why they shut us down. No yeah, exactly. Way, way to make this all about you. <laughs> um, but the, the, it's, this makes campaigning difficult, awkward, and hard. And so if you freeze things in place, and I think that's what this does, if it's frozen in place, it's going to be very hard for Bernie Sanders to make a comeback. Uh, so, I, I for you know, obviously there's a million reasons to hate what's going on re regarding the virus. A lot of anxiety, a lot of real stuff happening logistically, and I want to talk about that in a second. But politically, worst time possible for Bernie Sanders to try to make a comeback. So now we're at the point where the governor is asking us to not have mass gatherings anymore. And that's kind of what the primary is in many you know, respects. That, that, I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, I have a bird's eye view of the elections process. And what you're seeing, I think, is really a good thing. Let me explain a couple of things. One of it is is provisional, right? I call provisional, which is 
supervisors of elections around the state have been, I mean, running around buying soap, buying paper towels, buying Purell, whatever brand name hand sanitizers they have. I, I know some supervisors that went out and bought rubbing alcohol in bottles and sprayers and pouring them in to have them available. Boxes and boxes and boxes. Remember, there's over 5,000 precincts that play here. And so when you say, I know Broward County bought paper towels trying to get 20 rolls per precinct. 421 polling places. So that's 8,000 paper towels, right? So it's not it's not incidental, the logistics of this, but they're working, supervisors across the state are working to make the polling places cleaner, more sanitized, safer. And remember, polling places are somebody else's, play, whether it's a daycare center, a library, a school, a, um, a nursing home. A neighborhood center, whatever. A neighborhood yeah. center, right. And the neighborhood centers are cooperating as well. And, and the, the governor made a statement, and Jared Moskowitz, the Secretary of Department of Environment and Management said, you know, we're maybe coming up with accommodations to move those, and that's a good thought, but what we're finding is those ALFs, those adult congregate living facilities, they want to keep the precincts there. Why? Because that's the only way their residents can vote. And exactly, they don't want to put them in buses. Great idea. They don't want to schlep them around, no pun intended, for South Florida. And you certainly Wendell. don't want to take them out in the general public. Not exactly, exactly. So yeah. that's a whole new logistical issue. So they're working hand in glove, latex <laughs> glove, presumably. They're working uh, hand in glove to, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I've used that like five times today. There's a to, dad joke alarm just went to, off somewhere. Know, to hand in glove to, to clean the places, make sure people are coming in early, during and after. Uh, I mean, the, the amount of Clorox wipes of the, of the, of the facilities. Uh, so I, I like what I'm seeing and I'm like what I'm hearing on the ground that the supervisors and the precinct people are, are working together to make sure voting will still be there. But let's bring one thing in for a landing. At least 60% of the electorate that's going to vote has already voted. And uh, so, and this is a PPP, it's closed primary, so 30% of the independents, except in a, in a smattering of municipals around the state, aren't voting. Uh, this will be a relatively low turnout affair. So it's not going to be moving mosh pits at precincts all over the state of Florida. So I think this is keep the elections going, do what they're doing. And it looks to me that they're doing the right things. So it will depress turnout, but it won't matter that much, do you think? I don't think so. I'm not hearing it yet. Now, listen, things could things. Listen, the last 24 hours. Uh, you know, more and more revelations. Now the governor's saying, don't travel. We've restricted travel to and from Europe, et cetera. So it may, it may depress turnout. I, I, but I'm not seeing it right now. Like one of the concerns is, will poll workers not want to show up? Understanding who poll workers are, these are a lot of senior citizens. Mostly elderly, at least right. here in Leon County who, over the years. No, yeah, always. And that's yeah. the standard demographic. They pick up a couple hundred extra bucks to work for the full day. They love it. And these are people who want to serve on juries. These are people who love serving their state and their country. So I would be surprised if we have a, a mass exodus of poll workers. Uh, in the counties I've talked to, we're not seeing it, not seeing it at all. They're taking the necessary precautions. Some are bringing masks. All are wearing gloves. All of them have plenty of Purell and all that kind of stuff. And they're doing everything they can to minimize touching the licenses. Some uh, precincts have scanners. They have the swiping machines. You can swipe it yourself to make sure your driver's license swipes. And so they're taking the necessary precautions. I, I'm really optimistic about what I'm seeing, the way people are working together on I like it. It's pretty cool. So if Biden takes Florida, is that pretty Biden much Biden takes Florida in a landslide. The question isn't whether he takes Florida. Not one poll has come out with him below 60%. Uh, yeah, Biden takes Florida in a landslide on Tuesday.
Our guest today has been Steve Vancour. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Your calendar of events. The Senate meets at 10 in the morning. The House meets at 1030. Florida Democratic Party Chairwoman Terry Rizzo will take part in a roundtable discussion in Volusia County about health care issues. That's happening at 1030 in DeLand. And former Florida Congressman David Jolly will speak at the Lake County Democratic Party's Blue Gala Fundraiser, starting at 7 at Gabby's Banquets in Claremont. And it's time once again for the new adventures of Florida Man, who seems pretty smart until he gets busted. A 73-year-old Florida man, considered an expert on money laundering, apparently had first-hand knowledge of his subject matter. University of Miami professor Bruce Bagley is charged with three counts of money laundering and is due in New York federal court later this month to enter a guilty plea. Prosecutors say he tried to hide $3 million stolen from a public housing project in Venezuela. And a naked Florida man is charged with breaking into a building in Albany, New York, pulling the fire alarms and causing damage to an office. State troopers say they found the suspect's clothing and a picture ID inside. Then they found the suspect running naked on the street. 34-year-old Porter Denson of Davenport, Florida, is charged with burglary and criminal mischief. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again on Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 